Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Must be the crack of dawn because I just saw four badass time traveling paper girls ripping through town on their way to fighting some sort of temporal war, it seems like. At least they didn't bean my cat with the sports section this time. Hi there, and welcome to Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction. I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and today we're delivering this episode on the Paper Girls comic book series. Paper Girls comes as a suggestion from today's guest comedian, the hilarious Jeff Parks. We met up in Salem, Oregon to discuss the award-winning series, comedy, time travel, and more. It's at this point that I'd usually issue out a... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Oh wait, I just did. So heed that alert if you have designs to start watching the Amazon TV show adaptation, or if you're going to tackle the 30-issue comic book series. But before we get too far into the episode, I want to announce a ticket giveaway we're having right now during this very moment in time. That is, of course, if you're listening to this episode on December 13th, 2022, because tomorrow, December 14th at 8pm, both Hollis and Chong the Nomad are playing at the Doug Fur Lounge in Southeast Portland. So, here's what I want you to do in order to win a free pair of tickets to the show tomorrow night. Text SCIFI1 to 220-SP-RADIO at any time during this episode to enter. Limit one entry per listener. During the last 10 minutes of this episode, the winner will be chosen and announced in the Shady Pines Radio app chat room. And do make sure to stick around until the end of the episode, not only for that announcement, but for a super funny set from Jeff Parks as well. Alrighty folks, let's get into things, shall we? Because there's no time like the present. Paper Girls is a mystery science fiction comic book series created by Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang and published by Image Comics. Brian K. Vaughn is also known for Saga and Why the Last Man, which are both on my reading list, with Chang being largely influential in the Wonder Woman and Green Arrow series with his artwork. Additionally, the colorist is Matt Wilson, the letterer and designer is Jared K. Fletcher, and the color flatter is D. Cuniff. The series began publication on October 7, 2015, and concluded on July 31, 2019, with issue number 30. Paper Girls follows the story of four 12-year-old newspaper delivery girls, Erin, Mackenzie, KJ, and Tiffany, who we'll get to in a moment, and is set in Stony Stream, a fictional suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. As they are out delivering papers on the morning after Halloween, the town is struck by an invasion from a mysterious force from the future. The girls become unwillingly caught up in the conflict between two warring factions of time travelers. The series is subdivided into arcs of five issues each. Between each group of five, the series went on pre-planned hiatuses for three months each, during which time the trade paperback collection of the preceding five issues is released. Deluxe edition hardcover volumes consisting of ten issues each were also released. Additionally, a compendium edition was released titled Paper Girls, The Complete Story, collecting all 30 issues in one trade paperback. Alright, here's a quick synopsis of the overall story before we get into the protagonists and antagonists there within. The story follows Aaron Tang, a new resident of Stony Stream, who is a recently hired paper delivery girl. While out delivering newspapers in the early hours of the morning of November 1st, 1988, Aaron meets Mac, KJ, and Tiffany, a group of friends and fellow paper girls who invite Aaron to join them. The girls are soon attacked by a group of teenagers, one of whom steals a walkie-talkie from Tiffany. The girls subsequently chase the group to a construction house and find what appears to be a time machine in the basement. 
They are then struck by mysterious energy emanating from the machine. The girls learn that the teenagers are time travelers from the distant future who are engaged in an ongoing war known as the Battle of the Ages with a group called the Old Timers. At the center of this conflict is the question of whether or not the past can and should be changed by future time travelers. Throughout the series, the girls are frequently, and usually inadvertently, time-displaced, traveling between the 20th and 21st centuries as well as eras of the distant past and future. As they travel through time, they encounter future versions of themselves and are forced to come to terms with who they will later become. Their lives also become intertwined with those of Wari and Japo, two old-timers who lead the war against their future descendants. Alright, let's get a little bit more familiar with the characters before getting into some facts and background. Up first we have Erin Ting, a new resident of Sony Stream. She has a younger sister, Missy, of whom she's very protective. Erin is Chinese-American and has a maternal-like quality to her. She also tends to follow the rules. She attends a Catholic school called St. Nick's and carries a pocket knife. You know, just in case. Then we have Mackenzie Mac Coyle, a cigarette-smoking tomboy who swears constantly, Mac was the first girl to get a paper route in Stony Stream. Cynical and snarky, Mac comes from a blue-collar Irish Catholic family. Up next is Karina K.J. J. Brandman. Considered the rich one of the group, K.J. attends a private school, that would be Buttonwood Academy, plays field hockey, and is a Jewish. She carries her field hockey stick at all times and occasionally uses it as a weapon. Last but certainly not least, we have Tiffany Tiff Quilkin, who is a smart, obsessive gamer who loves her walkie-talkies. Tiffany is African-American and the adopted daughter of a mixed-race family and attends a Catholic school called St. Pete's. Lots of Catholic schools in this town. Aside from the main protagonists, we have the other players in the Time War, including the Old Timers. The Old Timers, also known as Watch in 2171 AD, are the first generation following the invention of time travel. They strongly believe in preserving the original timeline and strictly enforce the rules regarding time travel, mainly that they cannot travel to their own futures. Their leader is known by the title of Grandfather, and a subsect of old-timers are known as Restorers, who actively work to restore timelines altered by the events of the war and who have the ability to erase and alter a person's memory. Old-timers speak in a modified version of English, heavily dependent on slang and similar to Old English in style, although some of them can also speak 21st century English, if asked. Main old-timers include Joppo, the current grandfather. His speech and attire are seemingly more in line with the 20th and 21st centuries. We also have Wari, publicly known as Joppo's big sister. She is actually a woman from 11,706 BCE and Joppo's mother, having birthed him when she was only 12 years old. Wari originally meets and is helped by the paper girls when they inadvertently jump to Wari's original time period. Then, of course, we have the Prioress, a commander in Joppo's army who is romantically involved with Joppo. On the other side of things, we have the teenagers, who are the descendants of the old-timers from the 71st century. Grandfather refers to them as this regardless of their age. They believe in the idea of altering history, and unlike the old-timers, teenagers do not have any rules regarding time travel. They often seek the assistance of locals, people living in the present time, to provide them with information for the war effort. They speak in a futuristic language that is only decipherable through translation gadgets. They also have the ability to clone humans. Main teenagers include Heck, Naldo, and Jude, who are infected with a mysterious illness, 4DC, which is a rare cancer that only affects time travelers. Although they speak in that unknown futuristic language, they are able to use a translation stone to speak to the locals. These are the teenagers that initially encounter the paper girls and steal Tiffany's walkie-talkie. Now, like most time-traveling stories, this one is very involved and requires a decent amount of attention to detail across the various story arcs. If you're a fan of the dark Netflix series, then this story will definitely pique your nerd sensibilities. Also, check out episode 32 of Science Factual, where I got to do a dive with Matt Franco into the dark series. Make sure you have your time-traveling diaper on for that one. By the way, have you texted Sci-Fi 1 to 220SP Radio yet for your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Hollis and Chong the Nomad at the Dougfur Lounge tomorrow night at 8? Well, you should. you should. Getting back into the factual side of things, the review aggregator website Comic Book Roundup lists Paper Girls with an average score of 8.7 out of 10 based on 173 reviews, which is fairly solid. 
Paper Girls won two Eisner Awards in 2016 for Best New Series and Best Penciler slash Inker. It also won the Best New Series at the Harvey Awards in 2016. In 2017, Wilson, who won for Best Colorist, and Vaughn for Best Writer, both won Eisner Awards in part because of their work on the series. In 2017, the first compilation was shortlisted for the Hugo Award for Best Graphic Story, and in 2019, Wilson again won an Eisner Award for Best Colorist for his work on the series. The series has received widespread acclaim from reviewers, with Alex Abad Santos at Vox proclaiming that Paper Girls is the next great American comic book. Laura Hudson from Slate stated that the series is a reminder of how fresh and accessible even the most familiar stories and tropes can feel when people who have been consigned to the sidelines of popular entertainment take center stage. Stephen Padnick from Tor noted that the real emotional theme of Paper Girls comes to the fore, the contrast between children's fantastic hopes for adulthood and the disappointing banality of reality. The writing and artwork have been consistently praised. Paper Girl's vivid color palette and Chang's unique drawing style beautifully complement Vaughn's creative time-bending storyline, as David Barnett from The Guardian noted. Vaughn's plotting on Paper Girls is second to none and lays subplot trails with an artistry. The look of Paper Girls is utterly gorgeous as well. Abad Santos also praised the creative team, saying, Vaughn's writing and Chang's art, along with colors from Matt Wilson and letters from Jared K. Fletcher, all make for one gorgeous mystery. Paper Girls is often favorably compared to the Netflix hit Stranger Things. According to Barnett, fans of Stranger Things should read this comic. Susanna Polo for Polygon stated in her review of the comic series that if you're a fan of Stranger Things but wish the show handled its female characters or its queer coding or its rosy-eyed love of 1980s pop culture with a little more nuance more frequently, you'll find a lot to like. While comparing Paper Girls to Stranger Things and Super 8, Glenn Weldon stated that Paper Girls tells its story from the point of view of young women, not boys, and it doesn't seem coincidental that its tone is harder, flintier, funnier, more pragmatic, and far less concerned with idealizing the lost innocence of childhood. On July 11, 2019, Deadline reported that Amazon had given a series commitment to a television adaptation of Paper Girls from studios Legendary Television and Plan B. Toy Story 4 co-writer Stephanie Folsom was slated to pen the adaptation of the graphic novel, although she eventually stepped off the show. On April 26, 2021, Deadline reported that Sophia Rosinski, Cameron Jones, Riley Lie Nellett, and Fina Straza were cast as Mac Coyle, Tiffany Quilkin, and K.J. Bradman, respectively. Paper Girls premiered on July 29, 2022, with filming for the second season beginning the month before in June. Although that second season will never come to pass, because in September of this year, the series was canceled after just the one season amid renewals of more popular shows. Coming up next, we have an excellent interview with Salem comedian Jeff Parks. We met up to discuss the comic series, stand-up comedy, time travel, and more. Stop asking me the questions. Wait, have you heard, do you know Tom Wilson? I don't know Tom Wilson, no. He's the guy who played Biff in, um... Oh, sure. Back in, to the uh, Future. Back to the Future. He, he's, a, he's a comedian and he does musical comedy. And he he was so tired of people asking him the same questions over and over again that he just wrote a song answering all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like, how'd they get to De the DeLorean to fly? It's a movie. <laughs> Stop asking me the questions. Anyway, it's great. I'll have to look into that. Well, folks, the, the voice other than my own that you hear, this is Jeff Parks. Hi, Jeff. Hi, I'm, I'm Jeff. <laughs> Thank you for the hospitality. We we were we were going to meet at Infinity Room, but we are still yet in Salem. Mm-hmm. And you are the first Salem comic that will be on the show. Oh, I'm honored. Well, okay, I, I suppose that distinction does go technically to Billy Chambers because we did Event Horizon for episode fifty. But oh, okay, and he Billy was in since, Salem at the time. Well, I think he had just moved to Portland. Oh, well, so, that doesn't count. No, yeah, he, yeah, exactly. So we're we're gonna go ahead. I'll, I'll make up a. a metal <laughs> from all of that sweet sweet podcasting money that for i got sure. coming in for, for sure, sure. Uh, well, Jeff, before we get too started into mm -hmm. Paper Girls, which is what we're here to talk about, yes. 
what is your Instagram? Uh, Instagram is Jeff needs something to do. That's pretty much all my social media stuff. Um, I have a meme. I do a lot of meme stuff on there. So sure do. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to them. <laughs> I'm just uh, I'm just in a hundred thousand meme groups, um, and they all. I curate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do I, make some sometimes, but um, every time I'm like, "Oh, this is the one," and then nobody gives a shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yes, I've been there. I've been like, "Oh wow, this is finally I have a meme idea," mm-hmm. and it just falls flat. Aside from memeing things up, uh, you do stand up comedy. Yes. How did you get your start in stand up? Um, this it was um, 2011. Um, my friend Jesse Priest, who doesn't do comedy anymore, he had started like a couple months before, and he was like, why the hell aren't you doing this? You know more about stand-up than I ever did. And I was like, oh, you can just like do stand-up? <laughs> like, I'd never thought about it sure. before, because it was, you know, Portland. Like, I actually lived in Portland at the time. Okay. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just started doing open mics actually in Salem, partially, uh, cause he was coming down to Salem with like, okay, this is going to sound like name dropping, but like Ron Funches. Nice. Cause like, uh, uh, Ron. Who's hilarious. Well, yeah. Uh, and he's like a big fucking deal yeah, now. Yeah, he sure is. Uh, <laughs> but he would like, uh, we would take a, we called it the clown car down to Salem with Will Woodruff and Jesse and me. And we would go down to Salem and sometimes Eugene and do open mics and stuff. Um, nice. So that's... And when, when was this? This was 2011. Okay. And so, yeah, it's, it's funny because I was always hanging out with them. Uh, every time I went to, like, the Suki's was the place that I went to the most often because I was like, this, I got a hurt in order to get better at this and yes. like it, it, oh, it, it's funny because that mic ended and then like i recently went back there and it's exactly the fucking same as it was <laughs> in 2011 there's some review i think it's in the portland mercury about the sookie's mic it's like it, doing well, comedy in, at a sookie's mic is like doing comedy in the back of a moving garbage truck and if you can, if you can do it there bad. you can do it anywhere that's, like, uh, that's not a i mean people in salem make fun of me for talking about Suki's because it's like a thing that was instrumental when I started and and it, it was probably worse back then because they would literally have like 60 comics mm. and all 60 of the comics are there and nobody's paying attention to anything except like there's two dudes at the bar not facing the, right. the, the, <laughs> the, the mic yeah. well they didn't have a stage yeah. it wasn't like it is now like it was just like there was a bench and then a microphone <laughs> but uh yeah so it was just it was kind of awful <laughs> and so I, we w- I went there and Jimmy Newsetter most of the time was the guy uh, hosting he would always introduce me as a Salem comic and I lived in Portland mm. <laughs> because I hung out with them ah, gotcha. anyway I, I think Ron moved to Salem like right around that or to Portland right around that time because he had grown up in like Dallas or something okay so yeah th- th- that's how I started <laughs> so, so would you consider yourself a stand-up scholar <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, because, uh, you know, a lot of people were like, well, I, I would watch stand-up, you know, growing up and that kind of thing. Do you remember who was one of the first, like, people that you saw doing stand-up that uh, just, like, inspired you to maybe think that you could do it? Well, the first live stand-up comedy I ever saw was Mark Marin. Um, oh, nice. It was at Helium, and uh, this was, like, literally, like, a month or two before I started, and it was Mark Marin and... Uh, Todd Armstrong was the host. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know, do you know him? Uh-huh. He's really funny. And I, I don't know if he does stand up anymore cause he had a kid, but mm, anyway, that'll, uh, that'll take you out of the game. <laughs> well, um, he's really funny. And then also Ian Carmel. And sure, so that's yeah. where I, and like, I, I, later I got to know Ian a little bit better, but, um, yeah, I was just like, Oh, okay. This is a thing that people can just do. Like, cause I knew Ian was from Portland and so that, um, a little later, I, I had always been listening to podcasts, like, yeah, back then. And so uh, Todd Glass was probably the biggest influence on me. Like, his podcast started, like, right after I started comedy. 
and his podcast is absolutely like my exact brain as a as a podcast. A lot of people sleep on Todd Glass. I think he's fucking hysterical. Oh, he's uh, he's like a four year old yes. inside of a fifty year old's body. Yes, yeah, he and sure he's is. awesome. And his, his energy is always on a hundred. <laughs> I mean, I've done a lot of stuff with in comedy that really like stays with me. But like when I went, I went to a show on my birthday once. And after after the Todd Glass did his set, I got tickets for free, by the way, because it was my birthday. Nice. Uh, and afterwards, he was like, hey, you do stand-up comedy, don't you? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then he goes, what's your name? What's your name? And I'm like, <laughs> Jeff. And then he had uh, Joe do, uh, like, play the drums and they, like, played a song and made the lyrics my name. Oh, nice. And like, and I was like, birthday, oh, yeah. I could die right yeah, now. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, no, me, uh, like, he's just the silly quality yeah. is what really I, I love about him. He's very silly, but he also has like very like real serious opinions that mm. I always really took to heart as well. I called it the Tao of Todd. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is basically just you know, don't be meaner than you are funny. Don't punch down. I mean, just stuff like that. It's all standard, or it should be. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the fundamentals are there for a reason. You know, like, and I think that Todd Glass is one of those like great comedians that doesn't rely on punching mm-hmm. down or just for like sure. filthy material in order to be funny. Well, he is filthy, but in a silly way. Sure. Yeah. Because like, he's, <laughs> I think he's like the Jack Russell Terrier of comedians. Kind of. Like, yeah. <laughs> He'll mix the two too. Like he has a bit where he's like, uh, you know, people always uh, talk about like, yeah, back when I was a kid, there were no peanut allergies. Yeah, they were called unexplained deaths. You dumb fuck. <laughs> like that's that's the type of thing. Like it's yeah. a serious point, but yeah. it's fu- hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. He's very good at that. I remember seeing his uh, Comedy Central Presents. Mm-hmm. It's bit, really good. Like, yeah, his, his half-hour special back when I was a kid. And like, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I have been following him ever since. And like, he is one, He's kind of one of those stream-of-consciousness guys. Mm-hmm. Like, Bill, like Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast is another like example <laughs> he makes of, fun of that. that podcast I, on his. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know. He has, uh, I think it's da- either Daniel Kino or Blake Wexler will just do uh, Bill Burr. <laughs> it's fucking Anyways, anyway. Bill Burr is a very uh, specific spice. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Uh, so, Jeff, what was your first exposure to science fiction then? Um, it would absolutely be Star Trek The Next Generation. Fuck yes. a little too young for it like when it literally first came out but like around 1990 uh, 91 when I was like well I was born in 83 so that would be like 7 or 8 Yeah, I started watching it it came out late 87 so yeah and that show I mean I've seen every episode yes. more than once Same so, yeah. dude you gotta do the trivia night with me on Thursdays at Growler's Taproom on 82nd in Portland Oh, sometime I should do that, yeah. You, now you that I'm doing DoorDash, part. not an ad, yeah, yeah, uh, no, I can just go up there whenever I want. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You, you, working with DoorDash, you have the freedom yes. you know, to do the things that you want to do. <laughs> call call Reese. You're, you're, call Reese. Yeah, <laughs> you're your own boss at DoorDash. <laughs> Those ads drive me fucking insane. All ads drive me insane. Well, that's true, yeah. Even the one that I recorded that I ran at the top of this episode. (laughs) It drives me insane. So, yeah, no, that's... Take that, sponsors! Yes. Anchor, thank you for being the platform that allows me to upload my shit for free. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, no, Star Trek The Next Generation was one of my, like, intros. Like, Star Wars was my first true intro, but... Like, like the, thing, I mean, the thing that sticks with me the most is TNG and Deep Space Nine. Like, like I definitely watched Star Wars around the same time sure. too. But you kind of have. To I don't that. really yeah. think of it as sci-fi, even though it's in space. It's fantasy to me. Okay. Because it's not science. <laughs> there's no. It's magic. Uh, there's a wizard. There's a princess. There's a rogue. It's it's a fantasy story. I, I love it. I love it. I get your. I hear your argument. Yes. I hear you, Jeff. You're, you're being heard here. <laughs> For now, safe space. Yeah, I feel that because ostensibly, like being in touch with the force is being a wizard, yeah. touching like a magical realm. Yeah. No, I get it. 
Science fantasy? Yes, yeah, science okay. fantasy. Okay. And I, 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 like I said, I did watch both. And I'm yeah. a, I was a huge nerd about Star Wars up until about 1999 for some reason. Mm, uh, I, st- I, I do. Why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do, uh, I do love The Force Awakens and I do love The Last Jedi. I do not yeah. like the third one at all. Sure. Yeah, I can understand that. But yeah. Uh, so what about comic books? What, what was your first? Because you've been reading comic books for a long time. Uh, yes. I picked up just a random issue of Swamp Thing, mm. uh, which was uh, done by Alan Moore. This was also around 1990, 91 or so when I was like seven or eight. And it was this really dark story about a girl um, whose husband is possessed by her evil step-like uncle. No, I guess he is technically her uncle because her father's brother. So yeah, um, and his name's Anton Arcane, and he like sexually assaults her, and he's just possibly the most evil character that's ever been in any comic book ever. Mm. And he um, he was actually not created by Alan Moore. He was around before uh, in the Swamp Things tales. Anyway, so I've picked up this issue. I was like, oh, this is, like, the writing was really good. I was a little kid, but I was like, oh, this isn't like, I'll get you. <laughs> you know, like, you can tell the difference between the, legit, the sophistication of the writing. Yeah, a legit villain, not like a dastardly kind of villain. This yeah. is also, this particular <clears throat> issue I found out way later was the first uh, comic book to just, because of the content, they just got rid of the Comics Code Authority logo. Like, they weren't approved by the Comics Code Authority. So it's the first comic book in history to not be... It's, it was unrated, basically. And that's Alan Moore's first issue of The Swamp? No, no, no. Oh, that, oh, this was later the one on. That, and, the one that you have yeah, to pick up. I, I, okay. I mean, since then, I've gone back and read all of it, of course. But, sure. um, like, later, reading more Swamp Thing, he also brought, like, a real... Uh, beauty to it and I, I you can listen to the whole podcast of me and Gene DeWeber talking about Swamp Thing's uh, Alan Moore run yeah uh, like there's a character Abby Cable it's the love interest for Swamp Thing and they can't really have sex in a real way because he doesn't have genitalia <laughs> but uh, he does have the ability to create uh, like tubers potatoes with hallucinogenic, uh, hallucinogenic properties that she eats, and then basically their like brains meld together, and they have this gorgeous whole issue of just them basically fucking, <laughs> and it's beautiful. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that, that was the first time I was like, oh, comics can be as well written as like a classic novel or you know something like that. Oh, yeah, and I, I think even more so that mm-hmm. a lot of emotion and scene setting is conveyed just simply from the visual aspect of right. a graphic novel. Like, And I, I, it's, it's shitty to me that comics get like put lower in everybody's eyes when it literally combines two different well-respected things which is art and writing yeah and makes that you know there's shitty art there's shitty writing (laughs) you know you can also have good art and good writing and put them together yeah absolutely i i think the comic books definitely get slept on because of stigma you Mm -hmm. know social stigma attached to them yeah you know like they're just for the nerdy or those who don't want to read like outright or those who can't like you know imagine for themselves and it's like well no that's not necessarily true like what you're doing (laughs) is appreciating the value of two different disciplines coming together under one you know medium and i yeah i I, I value it definitely for that respect Mm -hmm. yes it does suck when you have like a poorly written but greatly illustrated you know story (laughs) yes but which yeah. is actually the earlier Swamp Things. That's basically what that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it, but you can still get away with mm-hmm. valuing it in some respect. Oh, if for you, sure. If you're just, like, being spoon-fed a shitty novel, like... Right. That's just a waste of pulp, you know? Like, right. Well, the other thing is, in a roundabout way, that's how I got into Batman. Mm. Because Batman shows up in a couple early uh, Alan Moore Swamp things. Actually, I think he shows up even in the old ones. But because uh, there's a whole storyline where um, 
Gotham police have uh, arrested Abby uh, on basically <laughs> uh, bestiality because she's having sex with a swamp thing. Mm. And so he's like, I am going to choke Gotham with plant life until Abby is freed. And and Batman is trying to like you know stop that from anyway. Was there a poison stuff. ivy element involved in that? At uh, I think, I think she was like they talked like to question her. Ivy, yeah, like are you doing this? I yeah. think she was in Arkham at the time. Uh, I, you know, honestly, it's been a little bit of sure. time since I read it, but yeah, like in a roundabout way, I was like, oh, Batman. Like I remember because before before Swamp Thing, Batman was just like this weird mythical idea. I hadn't read Batman comic books at that point. Okay. So I didn't, I just knew of him as like, Oh, my bed sheets, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Cause, uh, you know, and the, I think my aunt got me the Batman movie for when I was like 10. Oh, well you're going to have to specify which one. Oh, well the, the first one. Okay. The, the George, the, the George the with, vehicle. No, 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 no. That's the, that's the fourth one. This was a uh, Tim Burton, uh, Michael Keaton. My, okay. And Jack Nicholson is the Joker. Okay. I, where... I always, I, you know, Bat, <laughs> Batman is not my, okay, that's not fair. my realm. That's fair. I've seen it all and I've read a lot of the comics, but I, there's just so much. Like, there really is. I, yeah. I, it's kind of like Doctor Who. That's another one. That <laughs> is, sir, yeah, Doctor Who, that's definitely true. I need to do a part two on that because I've just left okay. part one floating out like super <laughs> early in the podcast. I was like, I'll we'll get to part two eventually. I've never seen a full episode. I feel like such oh. a such a I lose nerd cred even saying it. Well, I do like David Tennant. Great actor. Mm-hmm. Um, good Omens is awesome. If you haven't seen, oh, I've Omens. seen yeah. Good Omens. Super I'm a Neil Gaiman super fan. Nice. So. Yeah, so is my wife. She's super. She loves <laughs> yeah, the, the whole Sandman series and all. The, that. That's a Sandman character. Nice. Oh, cool. <laughs> I for the audience, I'm showing him my yeah. tattoo of death, saying Peachy Keen. Awesome. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to read more of it. I know that uh, it's not sci-fi, so no. Well, that's okay. I, I read fantasy. Yeah. You know, also shout out Gene DeWeber. Speaking oh, of yeah. which, he is a, also a huge Sandman fan and mm-hmm. has all of the books. Oh, you do too. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, then definitely worth checking out. I've, yeah. I've got Dune, a reread of Dune, up further on my list. So that's, good. that's, a, that's one of the weirdest. Uh, what I love about Dune is it manages to be like sci-fi and fantasy. Yes. And it just has none of the tropes you would expect with either. Right. And it's still like, it's sprawling and epic and it, it manages to kind of trick you because in the first book you think, Oh, Paul's good guy. He's the guy that everybody should like. And then you read the other novels and that is not nope. the case. No, <laughs> no yeah, way. <laughs> well, uh, if you, if you want to know more about Dune, because I will never get into it because I don't want to do six episodes on Dune. <laughs> That's uh, fair. Definitely look at the uh, last podcast network deep dives on Dune because yeah. uh, mm-hmm. hyper nerd Henry Zabrowski definitely did nice. uh, a great job at that uh, and promotes Dune any gets any chance he gets, yeah. which I am fully for. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the only David Lynch movies that not only do I not like, but David Lynch doesn't like. Uh, (laughs) I do love David Lynch. Me too. Uh, One of my favorite directors and actors. Uh, Yeah. No, he played... (laughs) In in Twin Peaks. David Lynch in Twin Peaks. What? Yeah, Yeah, him in Twin Peaks is one of my favorite characters on the show. Yes. Um, In The Return, he's even better, because they actually, like, gave him real dialogue. Oh, good. (laughs) That's good. If you haven't seen Twin Peaks The Return, that's, like, David Lynch's masterpiece. I haven't seen The Return. I've seen... uh, fire walk with me that's i mean that's a great movie but um that was also him being like hey fuck all of you (laughs) like because everybody was like we want to know what happened yeah and then (laughs) and then he was like hey here's what happened before all that so you already know all this right yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so um I, i feel like prequel writing is some of the laziest writing because you already have what the end game is gonna be so like well but he does it in a very david lynch way to where the movie is telling you how Laura was saved by, like, that's what that, uh, I mean, this is interpretation, of course. David Lynch would not want me to say this is definitive. Mm. But, uh, like, at the very end, when she puts on the ring and is, and uh, uh, Bob 
as her father, <laughs> uh, like screams, that means that her soul can't be like taken to the lodge. To yeah. the lodge. So yeah. she actually is saved by that. Huh. Okay. And that's why there's the angel uh, floating in the air through the whole ending credit scene. Huh. That, that's my interpretation okay. of that. I'll, uh, I'll have to put eyes on that again for sure because her story is real art. tragic and dark it is yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. r.i.p laura palmer mm-hmm. all right well we're here to talk about some different girls <laughs> yeah. we're here to talk about the paper girls <laughs> sorry i'm tangent heavy yeah no that's okay it's the paper girls it all comes back to that uh so what was your first exposure to paper girls and like why did you choose that as the as the property um, to to kind of get into i found paper girl, girls just from I had read some, uh, some of the first trades of Saga, which yeah. is by Brian K. Vaughn. Yep. And I'm, re- I'm reading that right now, too. I, I really, really loved it. And I was, like, looking for other things that Brian K. Vaughn had written, um, which I still haven't read Why the Last Man, which I've heard is very good as well. It looks well. awesome. Yeah. yeah. I read well, the synopsis of it, or, of it earlier. And he it's... really knows what artists to choose, because... Um, uh, uh, Cliff Chiang, I think, yeah. is the one who did Paper Girls. That's right. He just has such a distinct, like, it's like these pastels, and it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, well, Chiang did Green Arrow and Wonder Woman oh, artwork okay. I didn't as well. Know that. And, like, his, mm-hmm. the style is very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, well, and also it's just, uh, I think what stood out, once I started reading Paper Girls, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's very different from Saga, but uh, it's definitely more sci-fi in that sense. Yes. Um, I love time travel stories, but, like, I, I have a joke about, like, as a nerd, I get really annoyed with with things about the things I love. Uh, time travel stories can very, very easily get annoying. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, if you phone in any element, yeah. it, it undermines the entire structure of the rest of the story. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, have you seen this TV show Dark? Yes, I was literally just about to ask you that. Okay. Because, yes. uh, like, that... that with, uh, with Matt Franco. Like, uh, the Paper Girls and Dark and maybe a couple others are the only time travel stories that, like, really just nail it. Yes. Dark really ties everything well together that, it's fantastic. that show is like when i started watching i was like what the fuck is this and then it just keeps getting more like complicated but it all ties together perfectly yes. like the paper girls does the same thing you, you kind of can't miss any of it which is why yeah. i want to i haven't been able to read all 30 issues in their mm-hmm. entirety i've read a lot of synopses so mm-hmm. like I, I am familiar with you know the whole Time War with... Yes. You know, the um, the old-timers. The old-timers and the, the teenagers yes. and the clones and all of mm-hmm. the variations there within. And, you know, because there, there's a lot of butterfly effect mm-hmm. going on in the main story arc. So, like, you have to pay attention. It's definitely something mm-hmm. that you have to, you know... Look, oh, for sure, look yeah. into. But when it's done well, mm-hmm. as it is with Paper Girls, it is such a captivating story. Really is. So um, I'm kind of sad that the television show didn't get more than a season. I am yeah. going to watch that season. Yeah, but me too. Really, it needs more than that to yeah. kind of encompass the whole thing. Because Dark was three seasons, and they jammed that fucker packed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did. It's Just like the, oh, the tree that they once you look yeah. at, like, because there's a whole website dedicated to where the tree is at based on what episode yeah. you're on. Mm-hmm. And I think that Paper Girls would have had that potential of For intricacy, sure. you know, and following. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is unfortunate, but yeah. there is still the, you know, various versions and collections of the works, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, are pretty evergreen, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's, a it's an, any town and it's characters yeah. that, you know, you know, oh, in your own sure. life. Well, and that's uh, the, all four characters are, they're archetypes without being like annoyingly yes. obvious archetypes. Yeah. Um, you well, know, it's because they have depth as individuals. Yeah. They don't. They don't. They're not one track minded in the archetype or like the. You know. Another thing I've noticed that Brian K. Vaughn is good at is making characters that that we like and care about be flawed, and you know, like Mac, uh, the the character Mac is definitely flawed, but 
I, you know, I love that she learns about herself through the, the yeah. progress of that, you know. Well, Mac, Mac was my favorite character. I would say I identify most with Aaron just because she's kind of the main character and she's sure. like the one that's, you know, the outsider at first and that sort of thing. But I always w- would want to be Mac because yes. Mac is the cool one. Very, <laughs> like yeah, smoking cool. cigarettes. Yeah, curse, you know. yeah. Curses like a sailor. Yeah. I mean, she... she Not know. aware of her own uh, possible bisexuality or or homosexuality. And right. All that, so... I was going to ask, like, who's the Leonardo of the group? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to, I don't wanna, I like, don't skew think... anybody's... Oh, yeah, I have a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics over yeah, there. Yeah, I saw that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, the Leonardo. Oh, that's difficult. Um... I think it would probably have to be Mac. Well, Mac definitely tries to take charge more, but I don't know yeah. that they have that type of dynamic. No, they, no, they don't. Because, I mean, they all collectively yeah. you know, work toward the same goals. Well, they're kind of just thrown together, too. Right. Yeah, that's, yes, by circumstance. That's, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. Just, it just happens at them, and they're like, oh, okay, uh, cool, we're now in a time war. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, like that... It, it isn't it isn't shoehorned or phoned in like that whole component, you know, right. because there there could very easily have been like that as a plot device later on, mm-hmm. you know, or or just something that happens to uh, yeah. tie in two other elements or multiple mm-hmm. elements, and instead having it as the you know kind of fundamental background of mm-hmm. the story arc. I I love like you said, I love a good time. Yeah, warp. Well, and I, I love that um, their actions, at the same time as being the right thing to do, also caused the war with the old timers. Right. Because of Joppo being, I mean, this is all spoilers. I'm sure everybody. There has been a spoiler alert okay. already that's okay. gone out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Joppo being the child that they saved way back in 20 million BC or whatever. Right. Uh, being the actual leader of the old timers that's been trying to kill them this whole time. Yeah, uh, who's played by Jason Mantzoukas. Oh, that's a great fucking yes, choice. Great choice. Great that is great like job, not uh, just absolutely. because of who Jason is, but also just he looks like that yes, guy. Yeah, he does. Actually, I didn't even yeah. know that. That's great. Yeah, I, that's why. I, that's why I kind of want to watch those. <laughs> but it's, it is a bittersweet thing because yeah. really it was just the one season. But yeah, so like there, all the rules too. So like it, the rules aren't you know just kind of arbitrary either. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that. Um, you know, the old timers can't travel to their own futures. They can only travel to alternate futures. Oh, right, and right. Like, so, and how the teenagers interact within different sets of rules. Mm. And I also like how they didn't just come back speaking English. Like, yes. so, because oftentimes, as I'm sure you've noticed with Star Trek, mm-hmm. even with things like the Universal Translator and this, that, and the third, oh, yeah. it's just like, Oh yes, all of these societies uh, just happen to come up, uh, you know, with the oh, same then, yeah, basic societal structure. And I mean, it, it, it just... <laughs> Star Trek is very low Star uh, science fiction. Yes, it is yeah. not hard sci-fi no, at all. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, we ain't no Asimov over here in in Star Trek land. Certainly not. <laughs> no, certainly not. But there there are some some. Attempts at temporal mechanics in this. For sure. Um, which, which I, you know, as it, that definitely I also speaks love, to my nerd sensibility. I think this was maybe a dig, like, that Apple was the, yeah, the, Apple first, yeah. the first time travel machine. Right. Apple X or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious to me. Anyway. Anyway. So, do you have a least favorite character? Or, like, someone that you love to hate? Because I, I know that, like... It's hard to choose a least favorite character in a story that requires all the yeah. characters to be who they are and like <laughs> right. do what they do. Well, that's one of the things that I like about Paper Girls is that both of the sides of this war kind of have a point. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like much like know, most conflicts, you probably actually. shouldn't <laughs> fuck with time. <laughs> no, no, we definitely should. But no. at the same time, you have to be. That this is why the Prime Directive is also also kind of fucked up in some ways. Mm. Like. Uh, setting a rigid no compromise position is almost always the wrong way to go. Yes, and yeah, I agree with that's that. that's kind of the old timers' problem. Yeah, they don't. They think you shouldn't fuck with time, but 
you're also not looking at what will actually just cause the best possible outcome. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's where the teenagers are just trying to make things good. <laughs> I also want to hear about what's coming up in your comedy schedule. I don't have um, actually any shows lined up. I'm just always at Infinity Room on Wednesdays for the open mic. I do do improv there. I think there is a improv showcase for my class coming up. Maybe I'll plug that. Yeah, plug it up. Especially plug for Infinity Room, Salem's Premier oh, Comedy yeah. Club. I it's, mean, it's one of the best uh, rooms to do comedy in Oregon. Yes. Yeah, oh, agreed. And shout out Chris... December 22nd, it's a, the Level 1 Showcase, so basically uh, we'll be doing improv on December 22nd. Very cool. Well, if you're, if you're feeling sad and lonely about the holidays, come on out to yeah. Infinity Room on December 22nd to check out Jeff we'll and the Improv Troupe. Goof em ups, zip zap zaps, <laughs> yes ending. We're gonna... I hope we don't do zip zap zap on, no, on stage. stage. Yeah, that would no, be awful. No. Just doing warm ups on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. Bye, Buffy. Bye. Love going down to Salem for comedy? Make sure to check out InfinityRoomSalem.com for show dates and tickets to some of the best comedy and live shows Oregon has to offer. I just wish it didn't take like a whole hour to get down there, but I guess time is relative. Which brings me to this week's water cooler facts on time travel. Now, this wouldn't be the first time that we've covered the concept of time travel here on Science Factual, and it's likely that it won't be the last. I mean, let's be honest, there's no shortage of sci-fi stories involving the subject, and that's because it's super interesting. Especially the concept of time paradoxes, and whether or not one should tamper with the past and what the potential consequences are for doing so. Here's an article I've yet to read from science.howstuffworks.com on the subject. For starters, if you traveled back in time 200 years, you'd emerge in a time before you were born. Think about that for a second. In the flow of time, the effect, you, would exist before the cause, your birth. To better understand what we're dealing with here, consider the famous grandfather paradox. You're a time-traveling assassin, and your target just happens to be your own grandfather. So you pop through the nearest wormhole and walk up to a spry 18-year-old version of your father's father. You raise your laser blaster, but just what happens when you pull the trigger? Think about it. You haven't been born yet. Neither has your father. If you kill your own grandfather in the past, he'll never have a son. That son will never have you, and you'll never happen to have taken that job as a time-traveling assassin. You wouldn't exist to pull the trigger, thus negating the entire string of events. We call this an inconsistent causal loop. An equivalent paradox is known in philosophy as the retro-suicide paradox, or auto-infanticide, going back in time and killing a younger version of oneself, such as a baby. Another variant of the grandfather paradox is the Hitler paradox, or Hitler's murder paradox, a fairly frequent trope in science fiction in which the protagonist travels back in time to murder Adolf Hitler before he can instigate World War II and the Holocaust. Rather than necessarily physically preventing time travel, the action removes any reason for the travel, along with any knowledge that the reason ever existed. Additionally, the consequences of Hitler's existence are so monumental and all-encompassing that for anyone born after the war, it is likely that their birth was influenced in some way by its effects, and thus the lineage aspect of the paradox would directly apply in some way. Some advocate for a parallel universe approach to the grandfather paradox. When the time traveler kills their grandfather, the traveler is actually killing a parallel universe version of the grandfather, and the time traveler's original universe is therefore unaltered. It has been argued that since the traveler arrives in a different universe's history and not their own history, this is not quote-unquote genuine time travel. Leave it to nerds to get hyper-specific on something hypothetical. The interacting multiple universe approach is a variation of Everett's Many Worlds Interpretation, or MWI, of quantum mechanics. It involves time travelers arriving in a different universe than the one from which they came. This is the ingenuine version of time travel I just mentioned. Stephen Hawking has argued that even if the MWI is correct, we should expect each time traveler to experience a single self-consistent history so that time travelers remain within their own world rather than traveling to a different one. 
Alan Everett argued that Deutsch's approach involves modifying fundamental principles of quantum mechanics. It certainly goes beyond simply adopting the MWI, and that even if Deutsch's approach is correct, it would imply that any macroscopic object composed of multiple particles would be split apart when traveling back in time, with different particles emerging in different worlds. On the other hand, we have to consider the idea of a consistent causal loop. While equally thought-provoking, this theoretical model of time travel is paradox-free. The Nabokov self-consistency principle expresses one view as to how backward time travel would be possible without the generation of paradoxes. According to this hypothesis, physics in or near closed time-like curves, which is the theoretical power behind time machines, can only be consistent with the universal laws of physics, and thus only self-consistent events can occur. Anything a time traveler does in the past must have been part of history all along, and the time traveler can never do anything to prevent the trip back in time from happening, since this would represent an inconsistency. According to physicist Paul Davies, such a loop might play out like this. A math professor travels into the future and steals a groundbreaking math theorem. The professor then gives the theorem to a promising student. Then, that promising student grows up to be the very person from whom the professor stole the theorem to begin with. Then there's the post-selected model of time travel, which involves distorted probability close to any paradoxical situation. What does this mean? Well, put yourself in the shoes of the time-traveling assassin again. This form of time travel would make your grandfather virtually death-proof. You can pull the trigger, but the laser will malfunction. Perhaps a bird will poop on it at just the right moment, but some quantum fluctuation will occur to prevent a paradoxical situation from taking place. Confused yet? Welcome to the world of time travel. Your next lesson was last week. It's about that time, folks, so make sure to text SCIFI1 to 220-SP-RADIO right now to get your last-minute submission in for a pair of free tickets to see Hollis and Chong the Nomad at the Doug Fur Lounge tomorrow night at 8 p.m. It's your last chance. The winner will be announced in the Shady Pines Radio app chat room by the end of this episode. We'll also post the winner on social media, so follow at ScienceFactualPod for that announcement as well. In the meantime, I'd like to thank my sources for today's episode, which include HowStuffWorks.com, NPR.com, LiveScience.com, ScreenRant.com, ImageComics.com, and of course Wikipedia.com. Because if it's on Wikipedia, it was placed there by an unknown enemy from the future trying to erase you from their timeline. I'm super stoked for next week's episode with guest comedian, the very funny Jeremiah Coughlin, as we dive into one of my favorite sci-fi novels and authors, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. In conjunction with that episode, the book report with Noah Linsk will be releasing Chapter 4 the same week which dives further into PKD as an author and historical figure. So make sure to catch that double dicking by tuning in next Tuesday, December 20th from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. And by following Science Factual on Spotify for full-length episode releases. Before we travel to another place in time, how's about we check out this hilarious set from Jeff Parks? Enjoy! Guys, give a warm welcome to Jeff Parks! Ah, hello. Oh, that's a very festive song. Thank you. All right, my name is Jeff. I'm a fat guy. I think you can tell. Um, uh, so, like, I was a kid, and I was also fat. I know that's surprising. It, this is not recent. Like, I didn't just eat too much bread last night, you know? Um, so when I was a kid, I was similar. And uh, I, the thing I always noticed, like, old people would come up to me, and first they would look me up and down, which gross. Like, why are you doing that, old person? And then they would, like, slap my shoulder and say, hey, uh, you got broad shoulders. Why don't you play some football? And, like, even as a kid, I knew that was a code, you know? Like, what he was really trying to get across was like, hey, you're a trash bag filled with butter. Why don't you take your fat ass and slap sacks with all these other fat fucks out on the football field? I can't imagine how you would contribute to society any other way. <laughs> and the whole time, I'm just like, I just want to play D&D &D alone. <laughs> 
you get why that's extra sad, right? Because <laughs> uh, playing alone, there's, yeah, it, it just roll save for loneliness. Okay, <laughs> doing, doing great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm fat, and because of that, I just hate clothes. I hate them. I hate all of them. They, like, all clothes are made by skinny people, I'm convinced, because, like, when I buy a shirt, Here's a secret for non-fat people. Every time you add an X to the L on a shirt, like, they don't make it go down farther. They just make it go out to the side like a circus tent. And it's just like, you don't understand fat physics, you know? Like, uh, I, it starts to feel like a conspiracy to keep me from celebrating things, you know? <laughs> I'm considerate. <laughs> Oh, speaking of, uh, well, and clothes, uh, pants are even worse. Because they just assume, skinny people assume that fat guys, they just, they all want to be in line for Chemical Brothers in 1998. Like, why do I need to be able to, to hold two hobbits in each pant leg? Like, why is that supposed to be comfortable for me? Anyway, but speaking of pants, by the way, I accidentally bought buttonfly pants. I don't know if anybody's bought these. I don't understand how these ever happened. Like, how, how pants became a thing beyond just dropping full trout. Because, like, if that's the intermediary, like, every time I go to the bathroom, I'm just, like, it's try like trying to tie a cherry stem in my mouth, trying to open a, to just to piss. And it looks like I'm jerking off in the urinal. <laughs> Which, like, no, I'm not going to go for the security and privacy of the stall. I'm jerking off right here, motherfucker. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, I, uh, when I was a kid, I used to be a Christian. Um, and now I think Christianity is hilarious. <laughs> like, it just uh, everything about it. Like, with... Uh, with Okay, so there's this thing called a Christian bookstore. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, I have a supporter. Uh, no, uh, they're the, the most hilarious places to go because, first of all, I don't know that it's fair that they get to call themselves a bookstore when all they sell is, like, a million different versions of one book. Like, I, it's a... a in that sense, yeah, technically a one-book store. <laughs> but that's not fair. But anyway, so uh, I, I like to go into them and just laugh in my head. Uh, and, and one time I came across the Bible for Boys, and that's with number four and a Z at the end. <laughs> the Bible for Boys. And I just was like, isn't that... Isn't that what the Bible already is? I mean, I know they threw Esther and Ruth in there or whatever, but I'm just saying, like, if they made a Bible for girls, it's probably good they don't, honestly. With, yeah, but, it, like, because that would just literally be, that would just literally be makeup tips and casserole recipes. Like, this is, this is what you need to know about, ladies. Um, but, you know. That's, uh, that's how that goes. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm just I'm gonna leave you with this. Uh, I used to have a lot of skeletons in my closet, but uh, then they all came out, and now I just have a bunch of gay skeletons. <laughs> all right, have a good night. Hey folks, this is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mic sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps. listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesday. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. 
At 9 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien at 11 a.m. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Corbidae. Northwest Comedy Hour with Emily June at 1 p.m. At 2 p.m., The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your own private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beach Shack with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with Your Psychic Friends. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass at 10 p.m. And at 11 p.m., Taking Drugs to Play Music to Take Drugs to with Shampoo Douglas. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio.